please turn in your Bibles to Joshua 24. And while you're doing that, let me give you just a brief update on our search for a new teaching pastor. Um, Steve is uh, ill this morning. That's why I did the announcements, and he was going to mention it a little bit. Um, We have received 92 resumes. Um, Three of them came in this week. And so far, we have eliminated from further consideration 55 of those. Excuse me. We have 17 that look really strong. We have another 10 that are, I'm still processing, and the remaining were under consideration or we're waiting for them to to respond back to our questionnaires. Um, We've had some really good responses. We've had some questionable responses. But one thing that I did want to commit to you on behalf of the the pastor elders in, in this search is that we are holding true to scripture. I really appreciate Darren and, and the worship team leading us in song and talking about the inspired, infallible, inerrant, sufficient word of God. And this is the light to which we hold the candidates. We don't do it based on personality. We don't do it based on the size of church or, or anything else. It is, do they hold to the word of God? Do they preach Jesus Christ? Is Christ central to their doctrine? And so we commit to you that we're going to do that. We appreciate your patience in this. We are trying to be very fair to everybody, give everybody um, due consideration as we we look through the resumes, as we look through their responses. Um, We are convinced, we absolutely 100% believe that God has already appointed the man who will come here, and it's up to us to identify him. So we're being very careful to do that. So please continue to pray for us as as we do this, as we engage in this. If you have any questions about the process at all, about what's going on, feel free to talk to one of us. Um, As you know, I'm in the office, and so I'm kind of coordinating the process. I'll be glad to answer questions that you have. Um, The one thing that we are not sharing with anybody is names or where people are coming from or anything like that, um, to avoid any, any pressure or influence or anything like that. But I'll be glad to share with you what we've learned, what we've seen going on. Um, And we are greatly encouraged um, by what we see so far. So with that, everybody, please stand as we read Joshua 24, 1 through 28. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, and they cried to the Lord, or when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. 
They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law. And he took a large stone and set it up there underneath the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Please be seated. Father, as we look upon this passage, a passage that tells us about serving you, about committing to you, about renewing the covenant, Father, I pray that each and every one of us finds the application for our lives. Father, I pray for the words to express your truth. And all this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. How we spend our money says a lot about who we are. Do you invest in things that will sustain you in the future? Stocks or life insurance or real estate? Do you spend your money on things that will pay dividends, education or job training? Do you spend your money on pleasure 
entertainment, or vacations. Maybe all the electronic devices we love so much. Do you spend your money on other possessions, cars or books or jewelry? Now, none of these is bad in and of itself. There's nothing inherently wrong with investing your money. And getting an education is a good thing. Taking a vacation can be very relaxing. Well, except for the time immediately before the vacation and the time immediately after the vacation. And likewise, collecting things or having a hobby can be relaxing and exciting. How we spend our time also says a lot about us. Perhaps we engage in sports, either watching them or playing them, or going to car shows or other entertainment. Sometimes we spend our times on idleness. Sometimes we spend a lot of time on work. And certainly what we talk about says a lot about us. Some people talk about work. Some people talk about politics. Some people talk about entertainment. And some people talk about themselves. And when you take all these in combination, you get a pretty good idea of who or what a person treasures. If you want a good idea of what you treasure, ask your spouse, ask your family, ask your friends, or ask your coworkers. When we treasure something, we end up serving that very thing. Now, how many of you have pets? I'm willing to bet that your pets have you well-trained. You feed them, you groom them, you clean up after them. And I've heard it said that people don't own cats, cats own them. If you treasure your job, and particularly your job title or status, you serve that position or your employer. And this can often lead to the term workaholic. If you treasure your hobbies or your recreation, you serve those things. You invest your time and your money in them. And you prefer these things over other things, maybe even to the exclusion of responsibilities or duties. These things done out of proportion can all become idols. They take our attention away from God. They take our time from that which God has called us to do. They take our money from giving it to the Lord. They become gods to us. And they become sin. And if you treasure your sin, you serve that sin to the exclusion of serving God. Whether at that particular moment, or that particular week, or for whatever time period you are treasuring your sin. And as a result of this, churches suffer. As a result of this, families and relationships suffer. And as a result of it, you suffer. Your Christian witness suffers. Your relationship with God suffers. So you must make choices. Israel had to make choices. They had to choose what or whom they would serve. What we read here is important. It's not just a history lesson. Now, if it were just a history lesson, that would be fine. Because it's a history of our Lord and the people to whom he was born. And that in and of itself makes it interesting, fascinating, and important. But Joshua 24 is more than just history. It has implications for us today. And so I want us to see what the text has to tell us. Now, my first point in this, I call the convocation. The convocation, because that's what the passage starts with. It starts with a convocation. 
Verse 1 in Joshua 24 says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. He's called the people together, but he has specifically summoned the leaders. Now, when I was a chief of police and holding department meetings, I summoned division commanders and bureau supervisors to be present at the meeting. And they were to ensure that their people under their leadership attended. It wasn't a casual gathering. It wasn't coffee with a cop or chai with the chief or juice with Joshua or manna with Moses. Now, Moses is already gone, but you know what I mean. This was a formal gathering. They presented themselves before the Lord. Joshua called them there specifically to renew their covenant with God. And they are there to make a choice in regards to that covenant. Now, it's not insignificant that this took place at Shechem. It was at Shechem that God first promised Abraham that he would give Canaan to Abraham and his descendants. It was here that Jacob buried the foreign gods of those of his household prior to going to Bethel to meet God. And it was in Shechem that Joseph's bones were eventually buried. And there's a reference to the sanctuary in the passage, so it's believed that the tabernacle was at Shechem at this time. So God's very presence was there. We see then, at the very beginning, that there is a significance to this meeting, to this convocation. It's not just another get-together and have a hot dog. So then we have what I call the Chronicles. Part two of this is the Chronicles. And Joshua starts by recounting the history of God's choosing. In verse two, Joshua declares, thus says the Lord. Now these are the words of a true prophet, someone chosen by God. They're not Joshua's words. They are God's words and he is reporting them. He's speaking them to the congregation. Let's look at verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Sarah to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan, they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had labored, had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. These were the words of God spoken through Joshua. And there's some things I want us to pay close attention to in this passage. First, God tells us that Terah, Abraham, and Nahor served other gods. They were idol worshipers. Abraham was an idol worshiper. They lived among idol worshipers. They were no different from anyone else in their society, in their culture. And they were no different from any of us before we came to Christ. Next, God took Abraham. Abraham did not choose God. God chose Abraham. It was God's work, not Abraham's. It's always God's work. I want you to take a moment, and as we just read this passage, I want to look through it. And, and those of you that underline in your Bibles, I want you to underline some things in here. Um, as I was reading this, it really struck me, the words of God. So if we start in verse 3, underline the word, then I took. I took. And then I gave. In verse 4, and to Isaac, I gave. And then further in verse 4, and I gave Esau. Verse 5, and I sent Moses and Aaron. And I plagued with what I did. And afterward, I brought. In verse 6, then I brought. In verse 7, they cried to the Lord, He put. In verse 8, then I brought you to the land of the Amorites. And further on, and I gave them into your hand. And still later, and I destroyed them before you. In verse 10, I would not listen. And then in verse 10, so I delivered. And in verse 11, towards the end of it, and I gave them into your hand. And verse 12, and I sent the hornet. And then these phrases. In verse 12, it was not by your sword or by your bow. In verse 13, I gave. And then further on, on which you had not labored. And cities you had not built. And then the last line in verse 13, you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, if you like my Bible, you have a lot of things underlined in this passage. 
And it struck me so much, and I hope it strikes you, that everything that happened was the work of God. Israel had nothing to claim for what it had. They could only claim the Lord. Everything else was done by the Lord's hand. Everything good that Israel experienced came from God, not from themselves. James tells us every good and perfect thing is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every good thing comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And just as God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you belong to Jesus, he chose you. In John 6:44, we read that Jesus said that no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. The very act of coming to Jesus is a work of God. Israel did not conquer by its own power. It didn't labor or build or plant. It could not boast. Third, in these verses, we see the fulfillment of the promises God made and the protection he gave Israel. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars or the, and the, uh, or the sands on the beach. Verse 3 says that Abraham's offspring are many. God told Abraham that his descendants would be sojourners in land not theirs and would be afflicted for 400 years, but that he would bring judgment on the land the nation they served and that they would go with great possessions. Verses 4 and 5 show us that that promise was fulfilled when Israel went to Egypt in Jacob and Joseph's time and were rescued in Moses and Aaron's time. In verses 5 and 6, God reminds Israel how he sent plagues on Egypt and protected Israel. Now we know from Exodus 14 that when Israel left Egypt, God protected them from the pursuing Egyptians by putting a cloud of darkness between the two nations. And when they came to the Red Sea, God divided the waters so that Israel crossed on dry land. But when the Egyptians followed, God released the waters and the Egyptians all drowned. In verses 6 and 8, Israel is reminded of how in the desert they defeated the Amorites. And these victories are told in Numbers 21 and Deuteronomy 2 and 3. Verses 9 and 10 recall the time Balak called upon Balaam to curse Israel, but to no avail. Now you remember the account from Numbers 22 and 24. Balaam went at Balak's urging to go curse Israel, and that was a time when the donkey kept stopping and getting in the way. And then finally it was revealed to, to Balaam that the Lord was standing there with a, a flaming sword to, to stop him, to kill him, but Balaam's donkey saved him. Balak tried three times to have Balaam utter a curse against Israel. But three times, Balaam only blessed Israel. In Proverbs, we read that the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Balaam is not a good guy. Don't think that he is. He might talk a good game, but he was really out for the money. That's why he went, because Balak promised him money. His heart was not right. And that's why God sought to kill him on the way to meet Balak. And Balaam showed his true heart later on when he gave Balak ideas on how to weaken Israel. 
about having them serve false gods and intermarry with the Canaanite tribes. And we see this in 2 Peter 2 and in Revelation 2. Verses 11 and 12 are very short summaries of the battles fought by Israel. But God is quick to point out that they did not win the battles based on their own fighting ability. They were victorious because of God. And then we see in there the mention of God sending the hornet. Now this does not necessarily mean these were weaponized insects. It means that God put a terror upon the enemies of Israel. Now consider, if you will, the account of Jericho. Rahab told the two spies that people were afraid of Israel because they had heard what the Lord had done. He had sent the fear in front of them. And this verse 13 then sums it all up. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Everything, absolutely everything they have is due to the Lord having chosen and protected them. So then we come to the point of Joshua's summons, why he called everyone together. And this section I labeled the call. So we have the convocation, the chronicles, and now the call. Look with me at Joshua 14 or Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This section starts with a now therefore. I don't think I need to comment on what therefore means. Joshua is drawing a logical conclusion here. He says in verse 14 to fear the Lord. Now, if you love the Lord, fear means to have reverence, awe, respect for God, for who he is, for what he's done. But if your faith isn't with Jesus Christ, it means to be terrified, as you should be. Joshua says to serve God in sincerity. He is calling upon Israel to have pure motives. Balaam did not have a pure motive. And frankly, neither did Jonah when he told Nineveh to repent. Jonah did not like Nineveh. And he wanted them to be destroyed. But God had mercy on these people. Sincerity is not mere lip service. God condemns mere lip service. And speaking of Israel in later time, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. No one who goes through the motions of praising God without actually meaning it is fooling God. He knows what's in your hearts. Joshua says to serve the Lord in faithfulness. And here faithfulness suggests dependability, loyalty, stability. It means not wavering, but doing what you declare you would do. God himself 
as the model of faithfulness. He demonstrated this by keeping his promises, just as Joshua had spoken. All the things that God said he would do, he did. In Exodus 34, 6, after Moses asked to see God, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Joshua told the people, Put away the gods their fathers had served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. The first of the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other gods before me. And as Jacob before him, Joshua told the people to follow only the Lord. But then in verse 15, Jacob tells them to choose. He gives them two other options. Serve the gods on the other side of the river, the river being Euphrates, where Abraham came from, or follow the gods of the Amorites in whose land they were now living. Joshua was not advocating idolatry as a viable option. The gods he offered to them were false gods. In essence, he's saying that if you don't want to serve the Lord, then pick which false god you want to serve. They're all false. You don't want to serve God, pick any false god. You pick. He does not give them the option of not serving. It's in man's nature to serve something or someone. Now, you might serve a political ideology or you might serve a country. You might serve a charismatic person. Or you might serve or we might serve ourselves out of pride. We might serve out of our lusts or our egos. As that dubious theologian, Robert Dillon, wrote in 1979, no matter who you are or what you do, you're going to have to serve somebody. The choice is whom you will serve. Joshua then makes a very famous declaration, and we've seen it on plaques. You've heard it before. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice first that Joshua says, as for me, first and foremost, his faith is his own. It's not someone else's. As for me, he does not declare something on behalf of others that he does not first hold. Husbands, fathers, do you declare your house to follow God when you yourself don't? Joshua says, as for me and my house. He recognizes his role as the spiritual leader in his home. Husbands, fathers, do you assume the role of spiritual leader in your home as God has called you to do? And the next point is the commitment. The commitment. The convocation, the chronicles, the call, the commitment. And we find this in verses 16 through 21. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. 
And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. The people of Israel make the same commitment as did Joshua. They recognize that to serve any other God was to forsake the Lord. And they too then recounted the works of the Lord who brought them from Egypt, who did signs, who defeated their enemies. And like Joshua, they drew a conclusion. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord. And remember, this assembly had presented itself before God. They were in God's presence. So it is before God that they're making this commitment. It's before God they were renewing their covenant. And then in verse 19, Joshua tells them they're not able to serve the Lord. He says that God is holy. God is jealous. God won't forgive them if they sin. And that if they forsake God, the same God who did good to them will then do them harm. Joshua wasn't trying to scare them off. He was using hyperbole. He certainly didn't mean that God does not forgive sins. He was testing the people to help them determine their true hearts and the sincerity of their commitment. Consider when someone tells you to, that they'll pick you up at the airport no matter what time the flight comes in. To test that level of commitment, you might say, no, nah, you won't. It'll be cold out. There'll be a long way to the airport. There might be lots of traffic. Or it might be in the middle of the night. But the person assures you he'll be there. It's the same idea. Joshua wants them to weigh their commitment. And they declare their commitment to serve the Lord. So the next part is the covenant. The convocation. The chronicles, the call, the commitment, the covenant. And we find this in verses 22 through 27. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. Joshua here confirms the commitment and renews with them their covenant with the Lord. God renews his covenant with their ancestors regularly. With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, we see he continually renews his covenant with them. He makes the covenant applicable to that generation. And in verse 22, he calls them as witnesses against themselves. They have heard each other commit to the Lord. They affirm this and hold one another accountable. 
Now, last week, we affirmed two new members of Grace Bible Church. They affirmed their commitment, and you, the congregation, affirmed your commitment. We are all witnesses of these affirmations, and we can hold one another accountable for this. In verse 23, Joshua repeats his instruction to put away the foreign gods and to turn their hearts to the God of Israel. See, he's given them their marching orders now. It's kind of like the sheriff that tells the townspeople to form a posse to capture the bank robbers. Get on your horses and let's go. Unless you want the robbers to get away with your money, then don't form a posse. The townspeople declare that they're not going to let the robbers get away. The sheriff tells them, well, it'll be dangerous. You might get shot and you'll probably turn and run. And the people say, oh, no, we're going after the robbers. So the sheriff says, then mount up and let's go. After the people have confirmed and affirmed that they will follow the Lord, he tells them again, then put away your foreign gods. Let's move forward. Let's go. Notice that in telling the people to put away the gods, Joshua calls them foreign gods. He tells them to incline their heart to the God of Israel, the Lord, the God of Israel. This is a statement that the Lord and only the Lord is the God Israel will follow. There is no other God. And in verse 24, the people say that they will serve and obey the Lord, our God. And we sing many songs about God. One of my favorites is behold our God. Not just behold the God, behold our God. You might say that Jesus is Lord, but do you say that Jesus is your Lord? He is my Lord. He is my God. He is our Lord and our God. Now in verses 25 and 27, Joshua memorializes the covenant by both writing it down and erecting a stone memorial. Now, this is a reminder. It's not an altar. I'm not going to do sacrifices on it. It's just a reminder. People will look at the stone and they will remember and recall what it signifies, the commitments they made. Like Israel, we have memorials to our commitments. One of those is we're baptized in obedience to Christ. Baptism is a public declaration to this commitment. It's before witnesses. It's something we can look back on to remind us. And so I also would say, if you're saved and you haven't been baptized, I urge you to do so. A memorial to your salvation, a testament to your salvation, an identification with Christ. One that you will recall, that people will recall. We have church membership. This is a public declaration of our commitment to Christ. It is before witnesses. And it's a means by which we are held accountable. So in conclusion, what does this all mean for us? As I said earlier, Joshua 24 is much more than a history lesson. Its principles apply to us today. We read how God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you're saved... By Jesus Christ, know that God chose you. You did not save yourself. Like Abraham, you were chosen out of a sinful, idol-worshipping life. As Abraham was led to the promised land of Canaan, you were led to the promised land of eternal life. As Israel was delivered from slavery, 
so are you delivered from slavery to sin. As God defeated the enemies of Israel, so has Jesus defeated sin and death at the cross. You did not earn this by your good works. Paul tells us in Ephesians that by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Our Lord is the same God as the God of Israel. He was faithful then, and he is faithful now. He keeps his promises, and his covenants are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So I say now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. But you cannot do this without Jesus Christ. You cannot honor the Father unless you honor the Son whom he sent. You cannot serve God unless you commit to following Jesus Christ in sincerity and faithfulness. So what does that look like, serving the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness? Well, this past week, some of us were together for the gospel in Kentucky. This year's theme is, We Are Protestant. The emphasis was on the Reformation, as its 500th anniversary is upon us. Martin Luther posted his 95 theses at Wittenberg in 1517, just a year away. And we heard about reformers. We heard about men and women who, rather than deny biblical truth, went willingly to their deaths in defense of the pure and true gospel. They were burned, they were hung, they were drowned, they were strangled. Some died over their refusal to recant their declarations that anything other than faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone was adding to the finished work of God. Some died because they dared to preach the gospel in the common language of the people rather than in Latin. Some died for daring to print the Bible and thus make it available to people. Some died because of their position on baptism or the Lord's Supper, the same positions we hold today. Today we worship, we preach, we follow God in the truth they sacrificed to declare and uphold. They denied themselves and took up their crosses, and they didn't waver. They were sincere and faithful even unto death. And I ask, are we willing, are we able to do the same thing? Now, therefore, beloved, I ask you to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away any foreign gods that you have been serving. Put away any idolatry in your lives, whether it's your status among men, whether it's money or possessions, whether it's entertainment or comfort. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you're devoted to the one and you despise the other. He says, you shall worship the Lord and him only shall you serve. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. James warned against being double-minded. We must be single purpose, serving the Lord. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to offer these words of encouragement. Some of them come from Titus or from 1 Peter or for John. 
Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Husbands and fathers, men of Grace Bible Church, serve the Lord. Older women, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. Teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Wives and mothers, women of Grace Bible Church, serve the Lord. Younger men, be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Young women, adorn yourselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Young men and young women of Grace Bible Church, serve the Lord. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Community group leaders of Grace Bible Church, serve the Lord. As each has a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Deacons of Grace Bible Church, serve the Lord. Jesus told Peter three times to feed his lambs, to tend his sheep. My fellow pastors of Grace Bible Church, serve the Lord. Jesus said, go therefore to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all I have commanded you. People of Grace Bible Church, serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 28 says, So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his own inheritance. So I say the Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we desire to serve you and you alone. For you are the only God, the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Lord, this is the only way we can serve you, to follow your son, who paid the price for us to redeem us from our sins. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus as his savior, he does not wait another day, another hour, another minute, but comes to you humbly seeking the forgiveness that you offer with a wholehearted desire to serve you in the way you demand to be served, with sincerity and faithfulness. Father, I now pray for this congregation, for this assembly here, Father, bless them as they go about their days. May your words be ever upon their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.